You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. All right, welcome to episode number 52 of the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and this episode is the second of a series on coaches involved in the new Major League Rugby competition starting up in the US for 2018. Joining me today is Nate Osborne. Nate originally hails from Queanbeyan in Australia, where he played a lot of his rugby in Canberra as part of the Brumby Runners. After moving to the US, he's had coaching roles with Metropolis RFC in Minnesota, the USA Eagles as backs coach for the 2015 Rugby World Cup, and was recently named as the head coach for NOLA Gold, based out of New Orleans. It's a pleasure to have him on the show, so welcome, Nate. Thanks, mate. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Excited, yeah. Yeah, awesome. So you're, um, we're just talking a bit there. You're getting ready to make the move down to New Orleans? Yeah, mate. Yeah, I uh, I own a gym in Minnesota, so uh, getting all that stuff squared away before we uh, make the trip as a family to move down to New Orleans and start the new adventure as a as a full time rugby coach, mate. So sweet. Uh, yeah, it's exciting. Um, I think uh, I'm excited about it. My wife's uh, excited to see something different. The girls are, you know, in between about missing their friends and family, <laughs> but they're yeah. excited to to see some sunshine year round which oh would be nice God. yeah 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 so um yeah we're also just saying when you're just bailing right when it's gonna start getting nasty winter wise uh so yeah. no, no backyard rink in uh new orleans no no mate they uh we do have one here the girls love yeah they, they actually embrace it like, yeah i do the same it's unreal uh yeah i'm the opposite i can go months of the year without letting fresh air touch my skin <laughs> i go garage to garage oh, that's hilarious <laughs> Yeah. I need, I've been here for 11, 10 years, and yeah. I need to embrace it, but yeah. I'm happy to be getting out and getting some sun, <laughs> cool. for sure. Awesome. All right, so we touched a bit on your, your playing background. How, how, yeah. what, was, what was a bit more detailed there? Apart from Queanbeyan being one of the most difficult uh, names to spell of Australian <laughs> towns, um, you, you yeah. did most of your footy there? Yeah, I grew up there. I played uh, my whole life there. My, my old man was a... Uh, rugby league coach so he we kind of traveled around a little bit he coached in woi woi and uh yeah, yeah. gosford and your minor and then yeah, he came sweet. back and he was doing the uh with canberra raiders so that's why we moved back to queen man he grew up in my mum and dad both from queen man so we moved back to queen man he did right. the raiders for a little bit and then uh jumped over to the queen man blues um so spent a lot of time there before moving uh into more of a rugby school at st edmunds and mm-hmm. uh from there um I still played both, played league and union, as most kids in Australia do. And then uh, I made the Australian schoolboys team, which kind of propelled me more towards sticking with union and uh, kind of chasing that avenue rather than uh, playing much league. So that's the, the main reason I made the switch. And I haven't played a game of league since, really. So yeah. it's, uh, it's been a good move. Yeah, sweet. It's taken me, taken me far. Yeah, sweet. And... Um... Who, who, like you would have had some Aussie schoolboys, there would have been some uh, pretty solid players in that group. Who were some of the mate? The yeah, we, we had a cracking team. We had uh, uh, in '98, we had George Smith, uh, Dave Heard Lyons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like you can just go through the whole team, and it's just a uh, Tim Donnelly. We had uh, Paul Warwick, uh, Junior Palasasa. Um, we just had Jeez. a lot of those guys went on to play super rugby, like high level super rugby mm. and, and Wallabies, uh, Dan Heenan. So, um, 
yeah, it was a, it was a great experience uh, to be on a team like that. And we went on a two-month uh, trip of uh, Canada first, actually went to Canada, and then Sweet. we went to England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales and played uh, test matches in all those against, against the schools. So yeah, it was must, a great experience. To, must have been terrible. Yeah, yeah it was rough. <laughs> it was rough to finish school and be an 18-year-old kid oh, and get God. a yeah. two-month all expenses paid by Australian rugby to travel around with these great you know, young rugby players. So Epic. it was yeah. definitely a cool, it was definitely a cool spot uh, to be in. Yeah. And sure. then the Brumbies, you like the Brumby runners, you would have, would you have, was Eddie Jones coaching the Brumbies then? You would have been around some pretty good coaches at that time. Yeah. Uh, it was New Sephora. I just okay, took yeah, over after, from Eddie. Yeah, so yeah. I went, I went from school. I ended up going down to Randwick and played at Randwick for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went to Southern districts for two years. Right. Um, so played in the shoot shield there. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, came back to Canberra and uh, was with uh, East in Canberra. I left mm-hmm. Queenie and I went to East, which was a talking point. But <laughs> at the time, at the time, East had a, a really good squad and uh, uh, like Matty Gitto and, yeah. and my brother Jeremy was a great rugby player as well. So we had a you know a really good group of Queenie and Eddie's boys that were playing there. So we uh, it was a good move for me to you know just go to somewhere where I knew everybody and uh, yeah, I mean it was it was a great club and. I enjoyed my time there at East as well. Sweet. And what, what about coaching? What did your first kind of coaching experiences look like uh, in those early days? Uh, so with uh, I, I used to help out a lot with uh, like the backs and stuff as I got older. Mm-hmm. And then I took over as uh, the development officer for the club. So I used to go right. to schools and do a lot of coaching for the schools, um, which I loved. I loved that job of, uh, you know, so I was training full-time basically and the work on the side was a bit of uh, personal training and going to schools and teaching rugby so it was a pretty cool cruisy gig that I had that it was uh, I really enjoyed it it was uh, um, so that was like kind of my first taste of it and uh, like I said in in the bit before my old man was a coach his whole life so a uh, player and coach his whole life so I, I grew up around coaching I grew up yeah. in the locker rooms with my dad I grew up going to training with the you know training with the first grade teams at the at the league clubs that he was coaching uh when i was really young and learned a lot from him and learned a lot from uh from those experiences as well of uh of what, what to do and what not to do and then he uh he actually ended up taking over as a union coach for east in the last year i was at east so he okay. did that for a couple of years so uh it was good to play under him with my brother and uh it was good to he was like one of those main influences that you know if you've got a dad that's a coach you can always see how to watch the games and stuff like that. He'd always show us little bits and pieces and show us all this stuff. So it was, it was, uh, it was definitely an advantage for me and my brother to have that in our house. You know, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you know, you're never, never far away from just, uh, having a conversation about something that's come up and, and, right. you know, tapping in on that experience for sure. Yeah. What's, uh, so what's your coaching philosophy look like now? Like, uh, if someone was to ask you, you know, to write it down, you know, <laughs> Day one of your level three, what's your coaching philosophy? What would you what would you put down? I think the main thing with me as I've uh, as I've got older as a coach is to to be more player driven mm-hmm. and let players take more ownership of what what they're doing on the field. Um, I think when you first start coaching, it's really hard to to let go of that playing philosophy that yeah. you want to want everything to be perfect. Where I think if you can, it's not really coaching if you're not teaching. In mm. a sense, so mm. if if someone's making a mistake, then you show them why and how, and then 
from there, hopefully they don't make that mistake again. So they become better rugby players and, and you get a better outcome from what you're trying to do uh, with your team. So um, I think that's probably my the, my main philosophy uh, now is that it, that I, I really empower the players to have a lot of uh, power in, in terms of what, what they're doing on the field and what they're seeing. I don't, I don't think it's uh, constructive to really script everything all the way down to the last second anymore where mm. I sort of went through a phase of really being like that. And I think that sort of changed over time to be more um, player-driven. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Cool, sweet. And you, you, you like me, um, did, a, did a little while uh, as a player coach. Uh, pretty, yeah. Pretty, pretty harsh. It's, uh, it's, yeah. it's a tough gig, that one, uh, <laughs> to separate the emotions of a player and then try to be a level-headed coach. I, I know I had some colossal failures in that, in that regard. Um, yeah. If if someone was to be a, come up to you and say, "Look, I'm I'm going to be a player coach," what what would be yeah. some advice you'd give them? Uh, I think just what I touched on, like yeah. you've got to separate yourself from mm-hmm. from the player side of things, and you've got to really empower people around you to to help them understand what you're trying to do. Um, it, it's really easy when you're on the field to try and take control of everything, and uh, when you first step away, you want to still have that control. And you want to, like I said, you want to script everything to the last mm-hmm. second so that people can do what you want to do. Um, I think when you're when you're a player coach, uh, like you said, your emotions can get the better of you. You can start to focus too much on your own game and not worry about everybody else or vice versa, worry about everybody else and not worry about your own game. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's got to, it's got to be one of those things where you have enough confidence and understanding of what everybody else around you can bring to the table and then empowering them to help you to achieve your goal all right well on to the mlr what's uh it's you know obviously pretty exciting times right now what what are your hopes for the mlr as uh you know the first season starts next year and and moving forward from that yeah i mean i'm excited about it i think um of all the pro rugby leagues that have tried to start up in America, mm-hmm. this is definitely the one that I heard about and was like, I want to be involved. Mm-hmm. I think that this is done right. I think uh, having club-based teams, which, uh, you know, not necessarily are the club, but they have a spin-off of a, an already existing club mm-hmm. uh, with one owner of each team that can and a GM and coaching staffs that can really understand uh, what you – when you bring in players, you're understanding what you want to try and do on the field. So mm-hmm. uh, it's exciting for that. I think in the first year, um, we want to put a product on the field that people want to watch. Mm. Uh, and that's pretty easy to say. And, and I know that that's a kind of cliche thing to say. But if we're not playing, if the games are 70 nil every week or, you know, it, it's not going to do anything for the league, it's not going to do anything for the um, for the fan base if they're going to be watching those things. So, um in terms of what we're trying to do is really take guys that haven't been put into an environment where they get to train full time and break down other teams film and work on their own games and work on their mistakes to make them better rugby players. And I, I got no doubt that that'll increase that performance on the field uh, week in, week out. So that's kind of the, the main thing I'm excited about day to day day-to-day stuff with the boys yeah and some pretty sweet news too that uh there's uh with cbs announcing they're uh they're going to be doing uh game of the week and then the semis and finals it 
kind of yeah. reminds me a little bit of the early days of uh, NRC in Australia. Um, right. That, that was that initial kind of bit of TV, bit of online kind of streaming stuff, but uh, then it, and now it's grown in the, into a really good good uh, I hate saying product about rugby but uh, it's, it's grown into a really nice product I suppose it has, it has mate yeah I, I watch a bit of the uh, NRC and uh, I watched it in the early days as well and it's a lot better now than it was and it and it, it can even be as simple as that the the film the the games are filmed right mm-hmm. and the lighting on the field's good and, the, yeah. and there's actually people in the stands watching it and you've got good commentators that yeah. understand what they're talking about so I think the CBS deal is fantastic i mean it's i don't think anyone could say anything other than that it's yeah. it's great and i think that that's the um the key to those is that they're going to do it right they they sign a multi-year deal mm. we want to we want to be around for a long time so if we can work hand in hand with each other to try and put the best product out there for people um then you know that's key i think uh people that know rugby and watch will watch it because people who want to know but if you are just flicking through the channels and you're an nfl fan and all of a sudden you stumble across this game you've never seen before mm. the quality of the product needs to be there otherwise yeah. it can't just be a, a random one camera that you get at club rugby or mm. a, a live stream kind of thing it's got to be you know different angles commentators you know and high level you know play on the field as well yeah yeah cool yeah and speaking of nrc you must be stoked that the vikings are in the final there yeah, mate, they're doing well. Yeah, they're, uh, well, they're always sort of they're always thereabouts, aren't they? And they've they've really yeah, kicked they on were. this year. Their number eight's unreal. Yeah, the, I mean, the camera competition itself got really, really strong in the early two thousands mm-hmm. when the Brumbies decided that um, every player that was contracted with them, or even in their training groups, or even in in just being looked at by them, mm. had to come to Canberra and play. Yeah. Um, so that they had like hands on and got to see week in week out players playing against high quality teams. So. Uh, yeah, that, that Canberra Vikings team has been good for a little while um, yeah. from that, based on that. And then uh, I know that there's uh, they're doing like a throwback Canberra Kookaburras jersey for the final and stuff. That's so I think sweet. there's a bit – they're building a bit of excitement in there. Yeah. Uh, I know they're saying it's free tickets too. I saw online that you can just turn up and watch mm. it for free. So, uh, that's huge. Um, yeah, I think it'll be a great it's, – it's great for the local competition to have their players playing at that level. And mm. it's great for the Brumbies to be able to see those guys play at a high level. Uh, and it's also, I think it's helping uh, the Wallabies as well. Yeah, I think that, no uh, doubt. Their play's getting play better as well. My goodness, yeah, the amount of you know, game time that those guys are getting now when four years ago they'd finished Super Rugby and that's it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, um, on to uh, Nola. What, what's, for those who don't know, what's the rugby landscape look like in uh, New Orleans? It's good. It's, it's actually really strong. They've got a, a, some really good high school programs. Uh, yeah. They've got some really good college programs like LSU and mm. and other programs down there. And then the uh, local club, uh, New Orleans uh, RFC, is, is a strong club as well. And they, uh, they, uh, they've won a couple of Division Two championships, national championships. Uh, they've been to the Final Four and made the final in the D1 national championships. So... I mean, there, there's a good, already a good base of uh, young talent that's going to be streaming into uh, the Noah Gold side. So, the, in terms of the landscape down there, I'm, I think it's great. When I when I've been down there, they've got they've definitely got a lot of stuff going on, uh, and it's only going to grow from us putting more people out there and and doing what we should be doing for our community by going out and and doing clinics and going to high schools and going to colleges and and uh, trying to raise the level of everybody. Uh, 
and given everybody a, a goal to be a Nola Gold rugby player when they grow up, you know, so. That's sweet, yeah, no, it's uh, definitely exciting, and well, how's how's the prep going so far? Like, no doubt you've you've pretty much got the roster, like, pretty pretty locked in by now. Um, what's, yeah. with that in mind, what, what do you think are some of the key areas you need to get right early uh, for, a, for a new competition like this? Um, yeah, so, I mean, our squad's pretty much set. Like, we're, we're pretty much at our, we've got the squad we want. We put together a really, really good squad. Um, I know we've now announced a few, you know, really good players and there's more to come. Yeah. Um, I think for us early on in a competition like this, when you're bringing guys in from kind of all over the country and, and a lot of played together in different, like some played in the pro rugby together, some have played at, uh, for the Eagles together, some have played for the Canadian national team together, but mm-hmm. you've got to try and gel that team uh, as quickly as you can. And I think um, the biggest key for us early, especially is, is for our forwards to work on their scrum yep. and to be a, a unit in their scrum uh, and for our um backs to get on the same page so our, our you know ball runners and ball carriers uh in the back line to know where they're running and what lines they want to do and who they're trying to attack and our playmakers uh getting their reads based on that as well so uh that's kind of the biggest keys for our, those and then you know coming together you know it, you know it seems like uh when you look at it we've got a lot of time like we we start january 3rd we have a game on the 20th against capital selects which will you know give us a bit of an indication of kind of just to where we are for that first little, you know, phase of our preseason. We've broken our preseason into three phases. That's our first phase is, you know, getting a bunch of work in, understanding what we're trying to do. Uh, and then the second phase is building off the back of that, okay, what what did we do well? What did we do poorly? How do we need to be better for the 24th against Houston, uh, which is that next phase of uh, training? Mm-hmm. So really we've got about seven weeks where we need to get everybody – on the same page, understanding exactly what we're trying to do in terms of our structures, uh, defense and our attack shape and how, why, when and where we're trying to do everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of my, my role is to make sure that we're doing that. And at the moment I'm going through the, um, the preseason schedule and putting that all out so that I can just really look at it and say, okay, do we get, do we have enough of this? Do we have enough of this? Do we have too much of this so that we can cut some of this so that we can understand that we, we cover all of our bases going into that 24th and we uh, feel really good and confident about, you know, playing good rugby and, and winning some games? Yeah, sweet. Okay. And, and you know, what, I probably know the answer to this, but what's, what's your preferred style of, of play and attack? Um, and how, how would you – how do you build that up over that time period? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I, I'm an attack. I like, I'm a running rugby guy, yeah. like an old old school Australian. Yeah, like, I sure. like to like to throw the ball around, and yeah. I like to put people in positions to do that. But um, you, you can't do that if you don't win the middle. So mm. we're, 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 there's a big big push for being physical in the middle. So we've got to get over the game line, and we've got to create quick ball. If we don't do that, then there's no point us playing wide wide rugby. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that's going to be the biggest thing for us is, is our breakdown, how quick, how how good we are at the breakdown, so that we can get quick ball, mm-hmm. uh, and how good we are at getting over the gain line and, and really chopping defensive lines, picking out who we're trying to get into breakdowns, picking out you know where the spaces are and who we're trying to hold, uh, and you know given given the defence you know different looks with different layers that they they have to kind of think about who they're defending so that, you know, take away a little bit of their line speed by mm-hmm. them being a little bit hesitant of who they're supposed to take. But that's, that's kind of the, 
all in all the kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and you, you you slowly build that over time, obviously. Yep, yep. So we'll put in our we'll put in our first layer of attack. Um, you know, pretty early. Then we'll start adding our second, yeah. and our third. We'll start getting our playmakers more involved of of what they're seeing. Um, one thing at every breakdown, we want to have at least four options off every breakdown. Mm-hmm. So if our playmakers aren't seeing the four options, the three to four options off every breakdown, then there's someone not doing their job or there's something going on that we're not, we're not doing right. And that might be as simple as not getting over the game line. Uh, mm-hmm. But it might also be somebody is going to a dead rock that they don't need to go to. So um, it's really a, a matter of like layering it bit by bit so that you end up with the whole overall picture of what we're trying to do in our, uh, in our attack. So yeah, cool. All right, last couple of questions before um, before we wrap it up. What um, what was in your early days of coaching? What's what's one of the biggest mistakes you've made as a coach, and and how did you go about fixing it? Yeah, I think mate, we 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 touched on it before. I think yeah. uh, overstructure mm-hmm. and uh, and too, taking too much control away from the players was mm-hmm. was my probably my biggest mistake because um, you realise pretty quickly that you can draw up the perfect game plan uh, and then somebody bashing you and that game plan becomes out the window and how do you react to that? Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of been my, my early on, um, especially when I went from player to just coach. That was when I found it the most difficult. It was, it was only a short amount of time, but mm-hmm. I, I realised pretty quickly, but it was a mistake that I made that, you know, was, was a mistake, you know, so... Yeah, no, it's it was definitely uh, one of mine. One, a list of many that I made uh, that would be up up the top for sure. <laughs> um, all right, last one. Um, you were you were backs coach for for the USA Eagles for for the Rugby World Cup in 2015. That must have been a pretty awesome experience. Yeah. What was what was some of the highlights of that that time? Uh, mate, it was great. I think uh, every kid, uh, especially in Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa, England, you grow up wanting to go to a World Cup, you know, obviously when you're a kid, you want to be a player. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, once that fades away, then the next step is to be a coach. So yeah. it was, you know, literally a dream come true to be able to go to a World Cup and be in team meetings and training sessions and, and have a say on how we're trying to, you know, win games at a World Cup is, you know, a dream come true. And it was definitely a highlight of my, you know, not just coaching, but my rugby life. I, like I loved every second of it. I thought yeah. it was great. Yeah, that would have been sick. All right. Uh, well, yeah. we we always end the show with the same final four questions. Um, sure. When you were a kid growing up in Australia, who who was one of your favourite player or players um, that you kind of looked up to and wanted to pretended to be in the backyard against your brother? Yeah, mate. I uh, my favourite like my favourite player is Carlos Spencer. I love Carlos Spencer. Yeah, right. I love uh, yeah. I love Carlos. his uh, off the cuff. Yeah, I love his off the cuff kind of rugby and. Uh, mm. uh, you know, he's he's just one guy that he just never knew what he was going to do. Yeah. And nine times out of ten, he pulled off whatever he was doing, whether it was kicking over his head or whether it was you know throwing a dummy, whatever it was doing. He or, or throwing he intercepts great. to Sterling Mortlock. Or, or, or throwing, yeah, or throwing, yeah. Even those were good, mate. You know, and he, he was one of those guys that he threw the intercept and then he'd just go back and try the same play again. Yeah. Like he just had yeah. no no conscience, mate. No. Like an axe murderer. <laughs> just, you know. He's, I like I love Carlos Spencer. So yeah, he's no, he's pretty pretty awesome for sure. And what about now? Who are some yeah. of the the high profile players you like watching run around? Um, I like uh, I like Israel. 
play a lot. Yeah. Um, I think he adds a, a, a huge, you know, attacking threat from the back. And I think yeah. that's, you know, that's what's kind of made the Wallabies what they are right now is mm-hmm. um, if you don't have that from the back, somebody that can, you know, insert in different spots and, and come from anywhere and score tries like he does, then, uh, you know, you, you're pushing the crap uphill with, you know, playing the all blacks and stuff. So definitely like an Israel Falauk sort of guy is, uh, I like it a lot, but I also like, uh, like the toughness of like Owen Farrell and those yeah, sort of guys yeah, as well. Sure. You know, I like the you know the gritty number ten that you know great great kicking game, great passing game, but also get in there and mix it up with the big boys in defence. I mm. like those, those sort of guys as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think Izzy if he if he stays fit and sticks around the game for you know uh, uh, this World Cup and a bit more, he could go down as one of the greats for sure. He's a try scoring yeah. machine. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah, awesome. Okay, and what about coaches? Who's a high-profile coach you you like what they do and look up to? Uh, I love Eddie Jones. Yeah, I like his demeanor. I Sweet. like his coaching style. I, uh, you know, I've spent some time with him, and he's uh, he he, um, he definitely is one of those guys that gets the best out of his players, um, and he's also one of those guys um, who gives the players a lot of responsibility as well. So he, you know, he. I, I really like the the style of Eddie Jones's coaching. Yeah, I'd I'd love to have a chat with him. He's like, if you talk about coaching evolution, like there it yeah. is, right there. Like you know, he's, right. he had a pretty miserable time at Queensland after the Wallabies gig. Um, <laughs> you know, had massive success with with the Brumbies and and yeah. Australia. Then a really rough rough trot at Queensland, but then kind of seems to reinvent him himself uh, every every few years. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's uh, he's great. And what about what about uh, grassroots coach in your community? Uh, last question: Who deserves a deserves a shout out? Mate, I think like guys, um, like Sean Lindersmith is a guy that was like an Eagles manager. He did a lot of stuff in San Diego. He moved his life to Minnesota yeah. recently, like the last year, and took over like Minnesota youth rugby. Wow! And he's been doing a great job. And uh, for somebody to come into a community that no one really knows, and uh, you know, he had a bit of you know, push back early on with some of the stuff he wanted to do, but he just stuck to his guns. And now, you know, the youth program in Minnesota has gone great. And uh, I think he's definitely a guy. Um, I think like guys like uh, Rob Holder, who took over from me for, at Metropolis, who, who was running the Spearhead Rugby Academy before that, has done a great job with those guys. Um, uh, so I think those those two guys around here definitely are guys that I, I think are doing, you know, really great jobs for their in their positions, what they're doing, you know. Cool, awesome. You know, great, great talking to you, Nate, and um, really looking forward to MLR kicking off like everyone else, and uh, can't wait to see how Nola Gold get on, and uh, want to wish you all the best for that, and safe travels, moving the family down there, and uh, thanks again for giving up your time for coming on the show. Yeah, no worries, mate. Thank you very much. It was yeah, a pleasure. Perfect. All right. Cheers. David Williams is the head coach of the Glendale Raptors. Originally from England, he played for both the USA Eagles 7s and 15s teams. Between 2006 and 2015, David was the head strength coach for USA Rugby men's national teams and skill and assistant coach for the men's sevens teams for some of that time. He was assistant coach for the Denver Stampede in the pro rugby competition and they were the winners of the 2016 season. He's been the head coach of the Glendale Raptors since then and it's a pleasure to have him on the show, so welcome David. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Um, so, you know, pretty exciting times with uh, MLR approaching. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But um, what's a bit of a backstory as you as a player and uh, then transitioning into your coaching career? Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, I grew up in Bath in England. Um, then went to University of Exeter and came straight over here to go to grad school. 
Uh, and then I was fortunate enough to, uh, to play for the Boston Irish Wolfhounds. Uh, so won a couple of national championships with them. Yeah. And then I was actually working uh, for an AHL hockey team. Uh, and then got a, they had the lockout at the NHL. So I got moved to uh, moved to Chicago. And that's where I started working as um, the head strength conditioning coach and player as well. Uh, and then transitioned to full-time strength conditioning coach for USA Rugby uh, for 10 years. Um, and then got let go of that job and then moved straight into the assistant head coaching job for the uh, pro rugby here in Denver for the Denver Stampede. Mm-hmm. Lucky enough to win that the first league, first yeah. year. That went that went bust. Um, and then from there, I've been with Glendale for the last um, for the last year and a bit now. So, and uh, I was with Glendale for the last kind of seven or eight years, and I wasn't travelling through USA Rugby. And so it's been a great transition. Um, the lads have been really good for me, and you know I think we've learned a lot and really progressing on now. So this new MLR competition, which I think is going to be phenomenal for players, coaches, and obviously for the national team moving forward as well. Yeah, and there's a there's a bunch of excitement around about the MLR, and rightfully so. I think uh, all the talk is super positive, and and it's a, a real collective approach to it. How how do you feel about that? With um, from a coaching standpoint, obviously you want to win, but but the the fact that you MLR needs to needs to succeed really, so it's all all kind of all in for uh, for that to happen, right? No, oh, I think it has to be. And uh, obviously, I know the other coaches pretty well. I mean, I, I don't know the Utah coach, but I know all the other coaches, and they're really behind it. Um, I think this individual ownership, um, not having a draft, just basically having a salary cap and going out and getting the players that you want, uh, which you feel that you need to progress your team, is the best way forward. I think we've seen that with other leagues uh, around the world, and I think that's that's the best kind of model moving forward. Um, you know, Maybe there might be a draft in the future, um, as with other US sports, but I think at the moment, there's more than enough players to go around. Um, obviously at Glendale, you know, we're fortunate we've had, you know, we've had a pretty successful um, program for the last, you know, four or five years. And I've just been very lucky to kind of add to that, add to players to that. Um, and we've had a couple of uh, good seasons leading up to the MLR. Cool. And you, you touched on um, the success of Glendale in last season's pro rugby. What, what were some of the things uh, you feel as a group that you, you really got it right and um, helped on, helped to go towards that success? Well, a lot of it was was the culture we set um, myself and people lays um, who used to play for Canterbury and for Munster. Mm-hmm. You know, we were the main lead coaches for the team, and um, it's just the training environment that we demanded of the players, the accountability. And I think I brought that along to the Glendale team. Um, obviously, it wasn't Glendale who played in the pro league; it was it was a different team. But um, the large majority of those players have stuck around Denver and now playing for Glendale and Infinity Park. And you know, they definitely they see the need, you know, to keep progressing, keep winning. And keep bringing different players in. Yeah, apologies. It was Denver, right? Yeah. 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 yeah cool. And um, do, it's an interesting background that you're you're a strength and conditioning coach, but also a, a, a head coach. That's a pretty unique uh, combination. What What do you think? Some of the things that you can grab from uh, S and C uh, that transfer nicely into your rugby head coaching role. Well, I, I think I mean I, I've been very fortunate in my career to go through a fair few number of head coaches, so I can take a lot of positives out of that and kind of form my own kind of coaching um, philosophy. I was a skills coach for the sevens team for a, a quite a few years. Um, so I kind of pride myself on that. Um, I think it's just now, obviously, the way the rugby's going, you know, the physicality side of it, the collision side of it, the speed and fitness, repeated speed, repeated collisions, that I can kind of set the standard in the gym. I know how the players feel every day because I, I see them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've great, got a great assistant coach in Kieran Browner. Uh, he does a great job with the forwards. Um, and it's I think... 
it's just the environment we set and that, that a lot of that goes with how you set uh, the strength and conditioning standards mm. uh, what I demand off the players in a gym and obviously with their training uh, outside of the kind of the rugby per se um, the boys really buy into that I think that's why we see the results that we get on the pitch and then obviously alongside of that is having a very uh, sound fundamental game plan um, that isn't overcomplicated, which the players buy into and they can easily adapt um, within a structured environment and play unstructured rugby yeah, so I was going to touch on that. Do, do you feel that uh, moving moving into this MLR inaugural season, that they're some of the things that you really want to get right early? Oh, totally. And I think, you know, we've been lucky that we, we've had a couple of seasons under our belt already to iron out some of the kinks, you know, uh, whether that be the style of play uh, we I see with, with the players, whether that's different players coming in and coming out, um, you know, and then just really setting the standard, you know, with our pre-season uh, you know, with, with the weather we have here as well, we can't play as early as other clubs. And I'm mm. absolutely fine with that. You know, we'll start our pre-season a little bit later than other clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, but the boys are all ripping into their off-season already. Uh, and they're, they're look, really looking forward to this, you know, increased standard we're going to play ne- uh, next spring. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And where, how, how are you going about monitoring the, the workload? Do you, do you have GPS, RPE, um, wellness, that kind of stuff? And a bit of, I'm, not, I'm not a big believer in wellness. Yeah. I, uh, as in regards to the questionnaires, because I think mm-hmm. players just tick boxes and don't really don't really care. And to be honest, and it's it's really, I, I feel that it's really up to the coaches to speak to the players. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, we haven't got a large squad of players, so you know, um, half our team are part timers, so they've got their careers and, and families, which is great. So it's up to me to to speak to the full timers, kind of get a gauge of where where they are in the mornings. If they're having issues, then you know, I need to speak to them, pull them out. Um, alter their training, training and I can do that because obviously you know I'm, I'm also the strength coach and then the head coach as well um, and then we, we do have GPS um, we use Catapult at the moment and we may be moving up to Mac Lloyd for a bit of more of a, a live feature mm-hmm. uh, our players really buy into that they get feedback after every single session um, especially the national team players where those metrics are so big and so huge for that mm-hmm. international game and obviously the, the more we can train at a higher speed um, then we're, we're going to get to you know, my, my our game plan a lot quicker and uh, that's going to lead, lead into points and then obviously, you know, more success moving forward. Yeah, and I think if you do get to that live monitoring um, setup, that's that's going to be massive to be able to make the, the changes on the training field as as you see fit. If, if, if a group's underperforming or not hitting the workload that you set, um, you, can, you can make the changes straight away. Oh, I think it's huge. You know, the, the boys buy into that. I mean, they know what I expect. Um, you know, I expect energy uh, from the players every single session, and if I'm not getting it, there's obviously a reason why. But if there's, if it's just a pure lack of effort, mm. and you can pinpoint certain individuals, and you can see that in the film, but it's much better if you can see it live and change it, and then offer a reason why, and then obviously that could that translates into your game plan and and guys hitting their spots and it's being be more efficient, uh, more accurate in the, in the game plan and how they want to play the game because they all want to play for the national team. Mm. They all want to go on. So why aren't we training? You know, in that in that methodology. Yeah, for sure, no doubt. Um, what what's your favourite area of the game to coach? And and if someone was to come along and see you coach that, what 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 are some of the things you're going to see? Well, I need to say defence. I'm going on the November tour. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'm just off to Germany and Georgia. I leave on Friday, actually. That's ah, sweet. Uh, um, so I definitely enjoy the physicality side of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I started off as a scrum half. I, I played there, you know, majority, all of my career, I should say. Yeah. Uh, so you got, you, know, to tell, you got to tell people when to tackle. 
exactly and how yeah. to tackle yeah and exactly back a little bit but i think <laughs> now that the nines role is, is is very different from what it mm. was when i played mm. um and it, it's just they've got to be the voice still but they they also have to add add that physicality when they need to jump in the line you know and, and make that make that make their tackles and then get back in their in their in their sets and go from there and how how do you go about managing the amount of contact that players have in the in the week leading up to a game? Uh, so I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty structured in my in my weeks. Um, there's definitely uh, Tuesdays will be my my contact day, but I'm very set and going right, guys. We've got either five minutes of this or five minutes of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not just going to go. Hey, we're going to do contacts for an hour. Yeah, you know, it's I'm very set, and if it doesn't go right then I won't just go longer for the sake of it. Mm. Uh, like that with all my trainings, if I give guys a weekend off or a few days off, I will stick to that. Um, you know, I'm very structured in that way and I think the, the players definitely buy into that and they appreciate that if they're told something, then I stick to it. Yeah. I'm not going to chop and change just because of a victory or a loss. Mm. Uh, you know, we will change that when, when, when the appropriate time is. But I think you, you have to say what you mean and mean what you say. And I think the players buy into that. It's more player welfare around that. Um, obviously, with this, you know, the WTP, the weekly tactical periodization, mm-hmm. there's many different ways to skin a cat. Mm. Uh, and I, was, I listened to a couple of Eddie Jones's um, videos and how he set, sets up his weeks um, and how you know we can change it slightly uh, moving forward. And I think it's all very individual to your team and to your players. And um, a lot of it is how much have you put into them during preseason. What are the loads they can handle? Um, and that's only going to be more beneficial to me and my assistant coach moving forward. But it's much more beneficial for the players if they're built up, they know exactly what they're doing and how much they can, uh, they can achieve in, in a week. Yeah, and I think knowing your opposition too week by week as well, which, which game's going to be a real real you know, barn burner and which one's going to – you might be able to get some guys uh, from the bench a bit more playing time, etc. Well, even even this season, uh, we just started our under twenties academies, and I had three eighteen year olds playing for us this year. Mm, uh, it's phenomenal for them and, and for us, and, and as a club in general, because um, you know they know that if they're good enough, they're old enough, and uh, it's as simple as that. I mean, look at England, how they brought on the two Curry brothers down in Argentina, hadn't played much Premiership rugby, and they're just thrown straight into international scene against a, you know a full international Argentinian side, same as Nathan Earl. Um, you know, I think that we can follow that model in this country, and I think we need to. And I think those younger players um, have to have the voice, and they know that they're good enough to play at the higher levels. And also, a lot more competition for the guys who think they're kind of set in stone in the team, and they get pushed out if they don't play very well. Yeah, awesome. Um, okay, well, last question before we go to the final questions. You, you've also had a bit of uh, sevens experience as well, coaching sevens. Um, what, what are what are some of your big transfers from that that experience to to fifteens game? Oh, it's just the skill and the speed. That's yeah. as simple as that. I mean, um, you know, I, I played sevens a little bit. I mean, I was lucky to play in Hong Kong. Um, you know, it was just phenomenal. Uh, I wasn't the quickest player, so I'm actually surprised they picked me. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think you know, the sevens game is evolving. Um, and I think they are getting more physical, but the 15s game is, you know, is, is where it is these days. Um, it always will be, I think. Um, and I, I mean, I, it's great admiration for what the, the U S team have done, uh, in the last couple of years. Um, and they, they finished second in the Silicon Valley sevens this weekend mm. that they're, they're bringing through a lot of good players. Um, and you know, the more we, we can send, we sent a couple of players down there already. Um, and I hope we can support them moving forward. I think the biggest takeaway from sevens is, is that speed and accuracy. Um, you know, especially at that breakdown point, 
Um, it's not as physical as 15s, obviously, because the players aren't as big. Um, but I still think that the more the more physical, the more accurate you are at that breakdown point. And then, obviously, the catch-pass skills have to be just on point the entire time. Otherwise, you simply will not score many points and you will lose games. Yeah, yeah. All right, great. Well, we all these are these are quick ones with the with the MLR um, series that we're putting together. So um, we always end the show with the same final four questions. When you were a kid growing up uh, in Bath, who was uh, who was one of the players that you really looked up to and admired? Uh, probably Richard Hill, the scrum half. Oh yeah, yeah, no, nice. yeah, yeah. He was awesome. So uh, you know, I used to go down down to the wreck and and watch as often I could, you know, stand up, sit on my old man's shoulders and uh, watch away. It was awesome. That's great. Cool. And what about, um, what about now? Who are, who are some of the players going around that you, you like watching on the international scene? Uh, I think Bowden Barrett. I think he's a, he's a phenomenal player. Mm. Uh, you know, I think Owen Farrell, just what he brings to every team he plays for, where that Saracens, who I've got a huge amount of admiration for, um, England and then obviously the British Lions um, mm. this past summer. Uh, I think he's a, a phenomenal, phenomenal player. And you can't, you know, you, obviously you need a set piece. And I think the big boys up front, they never get enough credit. Uh, but they're the ones who win every single game of rugby. Simple as that. Yeah, great. Awesome. And what about coaches? Who's a high-profile coach you like uh, like what they do and uh, get inspired from? Uh, I think Eddie Jones. I've actually met him a few times. Yeah, and great. Just a conversation with him. Uh, so he's he's really good. And then... Uh, Mark McCall, I think yeah. what he's done with Saracens, he's been there a long time. Um, the changes he's made there, the players he's brought in, uh, the culture he's brought in and how the, every single player um, has just adapted to that environment so well. And that's why they're the best team in Europe and arguably the best team in the world. Yeah, I agree. I, I, uh, I, I think it's amazing in a you know, pretty short period of time what that what that club's become. It's, it's incredible. And what yeah, about... Got, sorry, go. who, who are there as well. Uh, obviously they had quite a few US players they had five at one point mm-hmm. uh, and obviously Chris Wiles has been there for a yeah. long long time um, and you know he's, he is such a good bloke uh, both on and off the pitch and uh, he's getting old now but he still charges around scores tries and uh, he's great for them great awesome and what about what about someone in the grassroots coaching community that uh, you feel deserves a shout out I mean, I'm pretty biased. I think my assistant coach does pretty well for himself, uh, Kieran Browner. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, he's gone out. Um, he was the liaison officer for England when they trained here at Glendale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he stayed in contact with um, with Graham Roundtree and he kind of mentors him. Um, you know, I think a lot of the um, the age-grade coaches for USA Rugby, and obviously now I'm, I'm going on tour with Greg McWilliams and, and Sean Pittman. Um, you know, I, I think, and then obviously all the MLR coaches as well. Mm. I mean, it's the first time that majority of them have coached uh, at a professional level, you know, so day in, day out, speaking to the players. So that's going to be, you know, a great for them and I think great for USA Rugby moving forward. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, that's great, David. Thanks thanks very much. It's a short and sweet one, but uh, it's a, a, a great one for listeners, no doubt. And I think uh, everyone, especially in, in North America, is super excited about uh, about the MLR and We'll definitely be be keeping an eye on Glendale during that tournament. So thanks again for giving up your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, no worries. Cheers. All right, cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at rugbycoachscnr or via the website at the rugby coaches corner
www.thepeopleshow.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.